Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 Discover the power within. UnityOnlineRadio.org The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions, with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So, hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. This will be my very last World Spirituality show on the Unity FM Network, because the station's closing However, that doesn't mean the world spirituality is over. It continues on Apple and Spotify, and I'm moving to another platform, and so you can enjoy my show from there. I'll let you know all the details, and if you want to subscribe, you can go to my website, pauljohnroach.com, join the mailing list, and you can keep up with what's what's happening. This is the 668th uh, podcast that I've done, so... And I'm actually thrilled that I'm doing the very last one at Unity with uh, one of my favorite theologians and mystics, this Dr. Matthew Fox. He, he has been influential in my life for several decades now. He came to our church back in the mid-90s and uh, to a sold-out crowd and presented one of his cosmic masses. Uh, it, it, like I said, it was filled to capacity. Um, and I asked... Uh, Dr. Fox at that time, was he running his life or was his life running him? And he said his life is running him. And I got a feeling it's probably, the, he hasn't slowed down since then, so it's probably the, the same way today. Um, but it is, it, it is a great, uh, wonderful thing to welcome uh, Father Matthew Fox to the show. He is, as we said, a universally renowned uh, theologian and, and social activist and mystic. Uh, full of joy as as well as seriousness. Uh, and so we're, we're thrilled to talk about his latest book, which is The Essential Writings on Creation Spirituality. It's been uh, selected uh, with an, a lovely introduction, actually, by Charles Burak. Uh, but uh, but uh, I I'm, have the p- distinct pleasure of actually talking to the the, the, the originator of, of this great move, this wave of creation spirituality that we've been enjoying now for, for 40 or so years. So it's a great pleasure to welcome Matt Fox to the show. Glad you're with us. Thank you, John. It's good to see you again and to be with you. And I didn't realize I'm the tail end of 668 uh, programs <laughs> on your part. Yeah, I hope but, you know, the, the it's not cause and effect. But... I hope you're not giving up the ghost <laughs> <laughs> no, it continues. It just continues in a different different format. But it is it is nice to go off with a bang. Go out with a bang. <laughs> okay. Now, you can know, I the, just ask a question? Um, yeah. 
where was your church where we did a cosmic mass together? I apologize, my memory isn't. Um, yeah, it was in Fort know. Worth, Texas, and um, oh, uh-huh. yeah, and and you you uh, the initial <clears throat> night we we rented a hall which was filled to the brim, and then the next day we had uh, various events in our church which were also filled to the brim, and we tried to do a cosmic mass in our fellowship hall, and it was like uh, the black hole of Calcutta. It was, you know, uh, very, very tight in there. Um, so, but it was a joy. It was a wonderful time. Uh, okay, to, now, to, now I'm, uh, memories are coming back. Thank you. Thank uh-huh. you for okay. Yeah, I was going to say the book um, elegantly uh, covers the gamut, doesn't it, uh, of creation spirituality, and it's a kind of a summation, if you like, of uh, of a life dedicated to these ideas. And uh, so many of the concepts and ideas, of course, were familiar friends to me, having read many of your books. But for those who have never read the books, I think this is this is a wonderful introduction, isn't it, to the, the whole spread of what creation spirituality means, right? Was that the intent to, to present it in that way? That's right. It, it was. And it's part of this series from Orbis about um, modern spiritual masters and you know, they, they put out these various books where they summarize, they take excerpts from different right. writers' books, and uh, that's what they've done here. And as you say, Charles Burak uh, did the choosing. Charles is a, um, he, well, he was a humanities professor at JFK University, and uh, he was also on my faculty for a while. He's Jewish. He's a scholar of the Kabbalah and the Jewish mysticism, and he's very, very well read, and he's um, <clears throat> he knows a lot about my work. So um, we Jim with the overall task, and I think he did a great job. Yeah, and the introduction's nice, too. It gives an overview of your life and and the various places you've been and whatnot, and uh, the people you've met and everything. So that's that's nice, too. He does a a good job of that. You know, one one thing that really strikes me about creation spirituality, and and I originally read it in, in the original Blessing, of course, and, and you have those charts, and I think there's some in this book too. Uh, you know, the fall redemption uh, theology versus uh, the creation-centered theology, and, and, and we in unity would very much be in the in the creation-centered part of that. Um, not that we put down fall redemption because it has its place, right? It, the, the, and if it works for folks, that's okay. But but it certainly has its limits, and, and in terms of where we are in the world today, I think, looking forward to, to, to saving our poor planet here, we, we have to move away from those old paradigms, right? So I've always loved the idea of, uh, you know, uh, I grew up with full redemption, as many of us did, and it's so refreshing to enter into this new creative place, you know, where, where we're not just miserable sinners, in some sense separated from God, in need, needing this uh, divine mediator, um, we are our own saviors in, in a sense, right? We are sons and daughters of God, and that that's always been a thrilling thing for me. Mm. Yes, we are other Christs, and uh, mm. that's not heresy. That's it's found in the first writer of the Christian Bible, St. Paul, that, you know, Christ lived in him, and that right. we in Christ. And so, um, but that has been kind of, uh, what should I say, on the back burner, or... Hush, hush. <laughs> yeah. Four centuries. And especially, I think, since the fourth century, since St. Augustine came up with the idea of sin, 
Jesus never heard of it. He was a Jew. Jews don't believe in original sin. And and the fourth century is when the church took over the empire. So that's kind of a clue, I think, as to why the fall redemption tradition has held sway uh, for 16 centuries. But there have been many wonderful uh, exceptions, all these mystics that I like to bring into the picture, Hildegard and Bingham, of course, Francis of Assisi, Thomas Aquinas, Meister Eckhart and Julian Norwich is over my shoulder here. All these people begin with creation. They begin with the cosmos, and it's blessing, just like the Bible begins. I swear, I swear, 99% of Christian preachers have had the first page of their Bible ripped away because the first page, Genesis 1, doesn't say anything about sin and evil. It's about the goodness of creation. It's cosmology, that the goodness of light, the goodness of the sun, the goodness of the moon, the goodness of the animals and the plants. And at the end comes humanity, and it says, now altogether it is very good. And that Hebrew word for good can also be translated as beautiful. It's very beautiful. So why did we wander into this anthropocentrism about how human sin is the beginning of religion? It isn't. Uh, the goodness of the of existence and of the universe is the beginning of religion. Thomas Aquinas says the true religion is about supreme thankfulness and gratitude. That's the essence of religion. And you begin there because that's where you get, as you say, the empowerment and the dignity returns to do something about the troubles in the world. And God knows there are troubles in the world. But as you say, even the issue of how we deal with Mother Earth today an issue is that um, that we have to be thinking about her and be grateful to her and realize that the world doesn't begin with us. You know, Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Notice, two eyes, two egos in that one sentence, I think, therefore I am. Well, good for you, Descartes. But basic line is, the universe exists, it gave birth to the earth, therefore we are. So a little less I, please, and a lot less anthropocentrism and uh, what Pope Francis rightly calls the narcissism of our species that has driven Mother Earth into this climate crisis and extinction spasm that we're we're part of and we're in many ways responsible for. Right. You know, another aspect of the creation is this idea of completeness, right? That uh, not only is it good and beautiful, it is complete and whole in and of itself. And Jesus refers to this, you know, he says in one translation, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But I think a better translation is you must be whole and complete as your heavenly father is whole and complete. And we've got, we've gone away from that. We, we see separation and division and fragmentation, right? And perhaps that's because we have this awareness of, you know, the, we, we ate of the tree of, uh, you know, of knowledge uh, of good and evil. So we bifurcated, right? Instead of the wholeness, now we see, see separation. And, and uh, you know, what I, I like what Eric Butterworth, Unity Minister Eric Butterworth said. He says it's, it's, not, it's a fall forward. It's not the fall of man. It's a fall forward. I like that idea because if you, do, if you don't lose it, you can't find it, right? So in a sense, the... The Bible story is, oh, gosh, we lost the completeness, and we're on the journey home to it. Um, we're walking our way back to that realization. We're waking up, as you like to say, to, to, to that wholeness again. So perhaps it's necessary. You know, perhaps that's part of the human condition 
it, it, to lose it is to find it. Well, I think that's uh, very true. You know, one way that Jewish people interpret the fall is um, the fall that a child makes learning to walk. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another angle on it. I mean, you know, these stories are so rich. They're so um, uh, archetypal that, of course, there are many angles on them. It's like the seven blind men touching the elephant. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's so much, to, so many angles on this. But um, the idea that we're we're children and, and you know, learning what our place here is here on earth. Mm-hmm. And, and we've stumbled along the way, of course, and we fall and we skin our knees. <laughs> and sometimes we do worse than that. We kill our brother like Cain and Abel or, or Putin and others today. But, um, uh, but the idea is just what you say, that we're called to completion. You know, another angle on the, that quote you have from Jesus is, of course, Luke in Luke's gospel. It's Matthew that trans- is sometimes we translate as be you perfect, but in fact, it can also mean be you mature, be you right. Mm-hmm. The, uh, <clears throat> a term often applied to fruit on a tree, <clears throat> no one to pick it, you know. And, right. uh, but in Luke, a very parallel passage says, be you compassionate as your creator in heaven is compassionate. But that's what completeness means. That's our fullness as a species. Right. I just, that's so important because, as the Dalai Lama says, we can do away with our religion, but we can't do away with compassion. Compassion is my religion. Well, to me, that's Luke 6. Uh, six. Yeah, be you compassionate is creating his compassion. But absolutely, that would be our completeness. That would be our maturity. Um, and uh, but, um, but, you know, creation is still going on. You know, it's not done. It's not something we look back to. It's something we're participating in. So there's a co-creation, and we're, we're invited on board to give birth to our species. So it learns to fit into the rest of the wonders and beauties of Mother Earth and not fight it and uh, not lead with our reptilian brains, which are about win and lose, but to lead with our mammal brains, which is about kinship and family and compassion and interdependence. I think that's the big challenge today. And moving from our adolescence, where we've been developing ego forever as a species, to our adulthood, which, as Jesus defines it, is about compassion, and that is completeness, and that is maturity, and um, and that would be wonderful. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? It's also about the the childlike heart, right? The the recapturing the it's an it's a conundrum, recapturing innocence, but with with uh, the wisdom of being a, a full adult, right? So. I think he captured it when he said, uh, "Be wise as serpents and innocent as, as doves." Right? You, you're, you're nobody's fool. You, you know, you're, you're wise. Um, you've got the wisdom of experience, but you also have the innocence of a dove. You have that um, childlike quality as well, that joyous quality. If you can marry those two together, it seems that then, then you, you know, you're really cooking. Um, Mm-hmm. And I and you emphasize a lot, you know, the idea of being serious and and, and going into the dark. But you also emphasize the the joy, right? The, the joy and wonder. And you mentioned that word earlier: the joy and wonder of existence. Um, it, it shouldn't be too heavy, right? I mean, that's what I love about the Dalai Lama. You know, he's he likes to laugh, doesn't he? And his his laughter is infectious. 
And, yeah. and I think any true spiritual teacher, you know, who's worth his salt, is is never too heavy, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's a light, there's a buoyancy that arises because you realize who you are. You re- you realize you're already home free, right? That we we are. <laughs> We are in truth already here, right? To use a fancy term that you use sometimes, a realized eschatology, right? In other words, we're we're already home. We're we're not waiting. Um, it, it, yes, it's a work, but the, but in the middle of it, we're we're here. We're we're already awoken. Exactly, uh, Eckhart says that uh, uh, Earth should become heaven, so that God can find a home here. Uh-huh. All this yeah. wonderful language you've been using also echoes to me the word of Jesus. The kingdom and kingdom of God is among you. Not it will be tomorrow, day after tomorrow, when this project is exactly. done, this project's achieved. No, it's already here. And so the joy, of course, that's a real promise of, of, from Christ, too, about the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to bring joy and and. Christ brings joy. So the joy has to, as you say, it's, it's really it's really a good deal when you see the joy. <laughs> and when people carry it, and you see it in the Dalai Lama, and you see it in many great figures. And like you say, not to take ourselves too seriously, either, either as individuals or as organizations. You know, uh, Keeping that sense of humor, which is a, a, a form of humility, isn't it? Right. Um, being close to, the, close to the earth and realizing, you know, we're all finite, we're all mortal, we're all got um, lim- wisdom, but limited wisdom. So we need one another. It's a, it is a group project. And there's a solidarity required. And you know who was really a champion of joy, not by talking about, by exhibiting it, was uh, the recent uh, Bishop Tutu who died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know someone who was in the room with him with the Dalai Lama. There was this gathering the Dalai Lama and Bishop Tudun and others were there and he said what really stood out for him was that Bishop Tudu was the most joyous person he'd, he, he, whose presence he had ever been in he uh-huh. even outjoyed the Dalai Lama because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tudu's life was not <laughs> easy it was not easy he, had a, yeah. he was part of the anti-apartheid movement and he was threatened and all this stuff Yeah, of course. so I think what you're saying is so true and of course Jesus' admonition, be you like children uh, to receive the, until you become like children. And that's what you're talking about. You can't receive the kingdom of kingdom because being a child is about being open and spontaneous and, um, and joyful. I mean, uh, young people, even young adults, even in a time like ours when there are so many issues, I, I, I like hanging out with young people because there is a, they laugh a lot, even when life is tough. They, they, they share laughter. And, um, and, you know, we all need that. It's such a big part of feeding and nourishing our authenticity in there. Absolutely. You know, one of the huge issues of our time, and you've been talking about it for years, but it's becoming even more apparent. And that is, you know, what do we do with, with Mother Earth and climate change and et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, this this is a huge issue of our time. Unless we get this right, we're we're probably going to destroy our planet, right? And then the planet will survive. Mother Nature will survive. It always has. But we, we may not. You know, we, we may be gone. Our experiment will be over. And that that's, it would seem to be a very 
a very sad thing. And, and along with that is this idea of God as feminine, right? And we're talking about mother nature. Um, Meister Eckhart talked a lot about uh, the motherhood of God. So did Hildegard of Bingen. And, and of course, a lot of the Hindus and the, and, and the Buddha, Tibetan Buddhists, etc., very much open to the, the, the divine feminine. It seems to me that this is this is crucially important, right? That uh, the, the, the the however wise old white men are, there's a time, <laughs> <laughs> there's a time for old white men to step aside and and let uh, you know our, our female counterparts, you know, enter into the ski. I'm being a bit facetious, but um, but you know, it's it's hugely important, isn't it, that we begin to respond with 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 that feminine attitudes, uh, you know, and that, that's, that can be within a male too, right? We're not, they're not exclusive to male and female here, but we've, we've lived under the patriarchy for too long and, and, uh, things need to change, I think. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. Yes. The, um, as you say, I mean, uh, the healthy masculine celebrates the return of the goddess, the return of the divine feminine, um, in women and in oneself and in and, and men. And there are different values involved here. I think the, the patriarchal version of masculinity is very much driven by the reptilian brain. I win, you lose. And so we have to calm that reptilian brain and then let that mammal brain, which is about compassion. The word for compassion in Hebrew and Arabic comes with the word for womb, after all. So the yeah. mammals bring a special dimension of compassion to the world. And I think this is why all these great spiritual teachers, the Dalai Lama and the Buddha and Jesus and Muhammad and Isaiah and, and all, um, call us to compassion. You have to, we have to be reminded because it is easier for the, the root of win-lose competition. Um, but today, science, too, by emphasizing interdependence, which is the real basis of compassion, is really on board. We have to shake them more to to uh, behave accordingly, but uh, all of us have to be shaken to behave accordingly, uh, according to the laws of interdependence instead of rugged independence or individuality or or my empire versus your empire. This, so, um, but the feminine um, energies are about so many things. One thing is compassion. Another though is uh, wisdom. Wisdom is feminine around the world. In the Bible, it's Sophia in Greek, and it's Hokma in, in Hebrew. Both of those are feminine words. In the East, of course, I have Kuan Yin over my shoulder here. She's a symbol of, of, uh, of wisdom. And then we have to ask, but now, our, our educational system, is it teaching wisdom or is it just teaching knowledge? And I fear, I'm afraid, I know, it's essentially uh, teaching knowledge. And knowledge by itself is just power. And it has to be steered, and that's the role of wisdom, to, to get the big picture. And and mother wisdom, and of course she comes with many names, Mary and the Black Madonna in the, in the West, and, and wisdom, but also uh, um, Isis uh, from Africa. And um, um, uh, these names, Kuan Yin and others from Tara from the East, um, but she always has this cosmic connection. Now, Julia Norwich is over my shoulder here. She, she, of course, developed the motherhood of God theme better than anyone until the late 20th century. I mean, she was she wrote the first book in English by a woman. It was ignored for 300 years. It wasn't published for 300 years. But she develops the whole motherhood of God. And she applies it not only to the creator. She says, 
God is delighted to be our father and God is delighted to be our mother. But she applies it to Jesus. She goes on and on about Christ as mother because he's preaching and um, modeling these feminine virtues like compassion, you see, mm-hmm. uh, and wisdom. And he's called wisdom very often in the scriptures. But wisdom is a female name, which is really interesting. But um, so we do have this this uh, story in our lineage, but it's been sat on and and um, erased by by many patriarchal uh, institutions in the name of Christianity. And so um, it sounds new to people, but really, as you said, we got to bring the balance of the yin and the yang. We got to bring that back because if we don't, Mother Earth, the feminine name again, Gaia, is going, is suffering. And right. as you say, our extinction is, is um, staring us in the face. And, and, you know, the UN latest report from the UN says, you know, seven years or maybe even three years, you know, that's right, exactly. how much time exactly. we have left. It's, it's a serious matter. And you know something else I've been reading about lately is these, they're finding more and more um, um, uh, of our hominid brothers and sisters, cousins, you know. We knew about Neanderthal because he was in Europe. But... Um, and, and the denizens, we heard about them. They were in Russia. But now we hear, they're uncovering all these bones from Southeast Asia. They now have 14, mm-hmm. different, we have 14 different cousins and hominids, who, all of whom have died out. We're the last ones standing. And to me, that is so important to realize, you know, that extinction is a possibility. In fact, it's, if you're a betting man, you probably, especially with what's going on in the Ukraine, it is showing us our, our shadow side uh, multiplied and, and threats of nuclear war coming out of Ukraine yes. and the climate change. I mean, we are facing some serious things here. And so I see some a silver lining here, though, that, you know, what's the adage that um, humans, um, that necessity is a mother of convention, but there we are back to mother again. But the idea that, hey, we can rise up, we can get creative, we can throw off the shackles of patriarchy, we can redefine education to bring in the mystical and the wisdom and the earth and the feminine elements to balance the intellectual elements and and values. Einstein, he said, quote, I abhor American education, unquote. Why? Because he says we've been given two gifts, the gift of rationality, and the gift of intuition. And, and he says intuition, and that's what I mean by mysticism, is, uh, is where we get our values and meaning. You don't get them, he said, from the rational. But he said, we live in a society that honors the rational and forgets the intuition. Yes. I love to quote Einstein on this because you can't accuse him of being anti-intellectual. Well, exactly. about the intuitive, the, the, the uh, creative side of our brains that is being ignored and it is the value center. So if we're not training in values, what are we doing? We're just giving people weapons it's to the end, the end of the segment. We better stop and take a break. Thank you, Matthew. Um, I'll be back in a couple of minutes after these messages. Thanks for joining us. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world.
We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. All right, before I return to our discussion, just want to make a note that uh, Unity in World Religions, my new book, is available. You can get it at uh, unity.org or you can get it on Amazon and it's in Kindle available too. Um, check out the uh, the panel discussion we did recently too. That's up on my my Facebook. So uh, and there is a free study guide too available on PDF if you'd like to get that. Um, right now I'm with Matthew Fox. We're talking about his new book, Essential Writings on Creation Spirituality. We're talking about wisdom and the, the feminine nature of wisdom before the the break. And I've been I've been very uh, closely related in my spiritual practice with Saraswati for several years and she's the goddess of knowledge and wisdom and the arts and um but she's also the goddess of the flowing rivers and um I, I'm from Wales originally I was fascinated oh. to find that uh, the Celtic equivalent of Saraswati Brigitte um, who's been Christianized as Saint Bridget um, also shares many of the same characteristics as Saraswati and you know, we know the Indo-European route, probably the, the, back in history, there was a connection there. Um, but uh, she's uh, Bridget is also the, the, the goddess or saint of flowing waters. And um, they both have the uh, the symbol of the swan as their the, the creature that they share in common. So m- many commonalities there. But I love that idea of the, the wisdom is a flowing thing, you know, and intuition is a flowing thing. It's not just head knowledge, right? And I love that idea that uh, in the flow is, is how we get our real uh, deep inspiration. Um, the, the inspiration flows into us seemingly out of the, uh, out of the void, right? It's, it's, uh, I'm sure you write your books that way. You've done a lot of knowledge, uh, head knowledge and, dis- and uh, discovery and and research. Uh, you're, you're extremely uh, uh, rigorous in that regard. But I know that the, the when the words come, though, they flow out of the this mysterious place, right? Exactly, a mysterious place that we call creativity. Yes. One of the images I use from creativity as an experience is a, a rushing river. It, to me, it's like being on a, on a raft without oars, uh-huh. <laughs> rushing river, and you're being carried along uh, by this flow, as you see. And Eckhart really has a whole sermon about that. He calls the Holy Spirit a rushing river, and he actually gets it from a psalm, and he develops it. And uh-huh. uh, so that whole idea that, you know, in a creative state, you're not in charge. You're being carried along. And it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, you don't look at your watch. You might fall off the raft. You know, I mean, I have a friend who's a painter, and he tells me sometimes he paints all night and doesn't notice what time it is. You know, right. he doesn't stop. And I think creativity is like that, and the Holy Spirit that is so much bigger than us, and it uh, wraps us up and takes us along. You know, Thomas Aquinas says that the the um, how do you put it the um, the Holy Spirit. Let's see, he says the 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 work of the artist is is like uh, the beginning of creation when the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit um, moves the waters. And um, he says that the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit uh, works the mind, which includes imagination, of the of the artist, is present with the artist at work, he says. And yes. I'm glad to hear that you're, that you're Welsh, because 
Well, Thomas Merton was an ocean Celtic, but this this is the creation spiritual tradition. The, the Celts, I, I often say the Celts are the only ones who got Christianity right because they begin with the cosmos. They don't begin with original sin. And they're not all hung up on sex like the Southern um, Christians were. For example, their monasteries were male and female together. They were bigender. Mm-hmm. That's where Hildegard was trained in a Celtic monastery in Germany. Uh-huh. Uh, she was German, but uh, men and women. Now, after a while, she stalked out and took all the women with her. <laughs> the men wouldn't move over because all these young women read her first book and wanted to join and, and you know learn from this amazing woman. And the men wouldn't move over. So she got up and they took their dowries with them. Back then, you had to have a dowry to be a nun. And, uh, and they all moved out. We have a letter from the abbot saying, come back, come back, please come back and bring the dowries with you. <laughs> yeah, that was... And her letter back to him was all about injustice. You know, she felt they were unjustly treated and she launched her own monasteries instead down down the street, so to speak, a uh, little ways away. Yeah, fun story. But see, the Celts settled all the way down the Rhine into northern France. That's how we get Francis of Assisi. He is very Celtic in his consciousness obviously he puts nature before human nature and uh, and even dominic in spain was a redhead so he was celtic in northern spain so the founder of the Dominicans was uh celtic so you know the influence of the Celts has been very um underappreciated um and um uh, meister eckhart all these rhineland mystics they owe their their creation centered consciousness to the celtic tradition uh, to me, there's just no doubt about that whatsoever. And that's what creation spirituality is about. It is that tradition that begins with the sacredness of creation, the sacredness of the cosmos, and and then flows from there. You know, I, I, I could go on talking in, in on these positive notes forever, but mm-hmm. I do want to cover evil, even though I don't necessarily want to talk much about it, but I feel I need to because it is an important thing. You referenced the Ukraine a couple of times, and we see apparent evil happening there, you know, where civilians are being, you know, hatefully bombed and uh, tortured and whatnot, um, which is can only be, in my mind, an act of, of evil, uh, institutionalized sometimes evil. Um You've got a chapter on it in the in the book. Uh, we can't avoid it, you know. In unity, we just sometimes we affirm there is no evil, by which we mean there is no power of evil. You know, there's no opposing force in the universe, the devil versus the god. But having said that, there definitely is such a thing as evil, isn't there? There certainly is, and it, as you say, it's rising its ugly head at this time in history in a special way. Um, you know, Jung said that uh, the age of Aquarius, which we're now in, in the age of Aquarius, evil will no longer be under the table. It will be on top of the table for everyone to see. And so, you know, the destruction of Mother Earth, climate change is evil, isn't it? Uh, look, I mean, just the news last night, all these tremendous hurricanes are happening, or tornadoes are happening in the you know, south, southeast these days. Um and here where I'm living in Northern California, we've we've now gone from wildfires one month a, a year to wildfires 10 months a year. And um, <clears throat> so that's evil, too. And <clears throat> and um, and clearly the, the display of war, of course, we're now watching 
were live streaming on our television sets in our living rooms. First time in history, really. Might this shake us up enough, enough and wake us up enough that we might finally put war behind us? That is what I would mean by growing up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and at the same time, waking up when we see the, the effects of climate change. Two, changing my lifestyles, getting more creative about alternative energy and cutting back on meat and all these other causes and planting more trees, all these other causes of, of, um, of global warming. So, um, yeah, and, and evil, I, I, what can I say? The tradition uh, likes to define evil as a privation of good, the absence of good. Now, I wrote a major book on evil. What I did there was come up with a new language because I felt that religion, not Unity Church, but a lot of religion in the West has oversold sin. It begins with sin and uh, talking about sin. And mm-hmm. I've, I've had many students over the years who've told me, by the time, and these are Protestant and Catholic, who told me by the time they were 14 or 15, they realized everything they loved in life was sin. So they just kind of left church, left church. Mm-hmm. And so we've, by calling many, many things sin, you trivialize evil. Uh, because a lot of what we're defining as sin is, is trivial or modest. But the evil is a big thing. It's a big energy. And, of course, the, then the tradition calls it the privation of good. But I do think it's more than that. I do think it's a force. Now, you don't have to call it Satan or Lucifer or Beelzebub. But if you call it racism or sexism or militarism or um, a capitalism that makes billionaires of a few and, and uh, this disempowered people of the million. Uh, that's, that's a force. Why do I know it's a force? Because it outlives us. There's something immortal and, and spiritual about it. For example, I've uh, been blessed to work a lot with Native Americans. And one Native American teacher I had, Buck Goldstress, I'll quote him in, he said to me one day, fear is the door in the heart that lets evil spirits in. Now, this is so interesting. I propose that every chakra, the heart is one chakra, every chakra, when it's healthy, is, is goodness. It's putting goodness in the world. It's a form of love. But when it's unhealthy, if it's off-center, like, like fear can make your heart off-center, then mm-hmm. these spirits come in. And, they, and, there's, and, of course, then we can talk about envy, which is comparable to the seventh chakra, because the seventh chakra is healthy, is sending your kundalini energy and light out into the world to link up with angels and ancestors and other people doing good work in the world. That's the healthy seventh chakra. But when it's unhealthy, it's envy. When it's off-center, it's envy. Envy recognizes the light in others, but it doesn't want to link up with it. It wants to shoot it down so it alone is standing. So I, I did this. I apply all the seven capital sins to the seven chakras of the East. Uh-huh. I think it really works, and it gives us a new way to look at sin and evil. But what Buck taught me was sin is the door, but the evil is something bigger than the than the sin. So I, I think there's, I'm so glad we're talking about evil, and I know, as you say, that unity is somewhat shy about that. And I think because a lot of people, including your own story, are, are, have stumbled out of a worldview that wants to talk about nothing but sin. And, you know, right. you better cleanse yourself and be at home in a place where you can talk about joy and justice and, and healing and the rest. But um, 
we, we are called to realize, you know, Thomas Aquinas, 13th century, said, one human being can do more evil than all the other species put together. Now, I say, how did he know that before Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Putin? Because he, like so many pre-modern thinkers, celebrated the incredible intelligence and imagination and creativity of a human. But it can be used for good. I put before you life and death. Choose. We can choose to put it to life's sake, but we can also choose to put it to destruction's sake, ego's sake, you know, envy's sake. I mean, like Ukraine, the whole Ukraine thing. I see it as envy. Why? Because Putin doesn't want a democratic country right up against his. You know, this would un, uh, un uh, would move him from his place of of uh, of power. To, and the Russian people are not stupid. They say, hey, this other way of life looks a little, little more fun than ours. And so I think, I think you could really connect this war, horrible as it is, and so un, un, uh, without cause, you can connect it to envy. Uh, I think a lot of envy results in war. It's always about lies. So there you have his whole movement to cover up the media, you know, so that only his... His ver- version of reality is spoken, etc., uh, and it all kind of comes together. The, the so we're playing with with some kind of spirit here, insofar as it comes back every j- generation. So it's not mortal like we are, and um, and it's strong and it's smart. Evil is smart. It doesn't go around with a sign on its back saying "I'm evil, kick me." In fact, it goes around with PhD and. Um, you know, and other accomplishments, and, um, you know, it's subtle. And that's why we have to look inside, not just outside. It's not yeah. all evil isn't I, all evil. Was... You know, we've got evil, you know, flow. it flows. And that's why it's something spiritual about it. It, too, flows. Um, and we have to be alert. We have to be spiritual warriors in that regard and keep our I eyes open. I was reading today that, uh, you know, Putin called the war noble. He did a public address, I think, and he said, we have a noble cause. And, and you know, he's, I think evil does that, or the dark side, or whatever you want to call it, the, the adverse ego, we call it in unity, um, mm-hmm. you know, co-ops uh, qualities, right, like nobility or we're doing the right thing. I mean, Hitler felt he was doing the right thing, um, mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, yet obviously he he wasn't. And if you look at it from a larger point of view, but I like this idea, you know, that there's only two ways to operate. You're either expanding or you're contracting, right? When you when your chakra is working well and healthily, it's expansive, it's generous, it's looking outwards, it's it's spreading compassion. When when it's not healthy, it's contracting. It, it's mean spirited. It wants to pull everything down. Um, it, it, it becomes dark, you know, and and um, but the key here, it's a sort of a Jungian idea, right? To, to look into that darkness, to look into that envy, if you like, and to see it for what it is. And if we can have that our own self awareness of our dark sides, then then there's a breakthrough, right? It's it's not a problem if we see it as a tool for awakening, but as long as we see it as as the reality of who we are. And then we, you know, we become, uh, you know, evil beings, if you like. We become the part of the dark side, and uh, that's a tragedy. And 
So I, I always have compassion for people like Putin or, or others that seem to be lost in that, you know, because ultimately they're, they're, they're hurting their, their soul, aren't they? They're, they're, it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy. And, of course, they're dragging millions of other people with them. This is the terrible thing, you know, with Stalin, Hitler, and all these folks, uh, you know, dragged you know, millions of innocent people down the hole of their own um, darkness, and, 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 uh, and yet they couldn't see that. So it, it's very sad. Very, very well put, very well put. And, you know, slavery, you know, slavery was obviously an evil uh, toward slaves. Mm-hmm. But really, it also destroyed the, the white soul or the master soul, if you will, you know. Right. That's more subtle because the master's on top and the master has all kinds of good stuff going because he's making money and power off the slave. But ultimately, and I think we're still dealing with that, really, in the American conscience and consciousness, that the 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 white the, the, the slave masters were also victims of slavery, not as evidently, yes. victims, but spiritually they lost their souls, whereas the 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 Africans fought to keep their soul and 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 to find their freedom. And that's, um, you know, so their soul is more intact. And um, so I think we're de- still dealing with those traumas, the inherited traumas. And, of course, the, the indigenous people, too, that they're dealing with the inherited trauma of, of the genocide toward them. And this is the country we live in, you know, that we're all wounded. And that's, that's important information. But we right. also all have the Christ in us, the Buddha nature in us, the doxa and glory of the image of God in us. And that's what we want to tap into to, to heal all of us. And, um, and, and I would also really emphasize in this time the role of, of lies and untruth. You know, the idea that God is truth. And if you're, you're manufacturing false information, which seduces millions, um, that is another sign. You know, there's a reason why traditionally it says Satan is a father of lies. You know, that once humans give up on truth, and it's not that all of us at any one time have the truth, but it's that we're, we're yearning for truth. Aquinas says truth and justice are the, uh, the, the food of the heart, that the heart rejoices in both truth and justice. So if we're denying people truth, we're denying them basic food. And um, I think, you know, that you can't run an evil empire without lies. And right. I think Putin knows that. That's why he fired every, every possible journalist outside his sphere. And there's a lot of lies going on in American media today that have seduced millions. And, you know, we have to be alert to that. And we all have to be seeking the truth. That's what a program like this that you're offering is about, I think, you know, it's, you know, I think one of the worst aspects of that in the most pernicious aspect is where, you know, this, this relativism um, seeps into everything. So, you know, everything is misinformation. Uh, Oh, well, you know, they're lying, but the the other side's lying too. So, so truth, you know, is, is, is a hostage to this. And I I like what you're saying, you know, that there, there actually is truth here, and it's up to our journalists and, and our leaders to discern that, right? To to as best they can bring this, um, you know, it, uh, 
truth, however relative it might be, forward so that it's not just a miasma of, of, of misinformation here that it's, that's not helpful to anybody. So, you know, um, it, 1984 really has come true, isn't it? Uh, George Orwell was yeah. extremely prescient in, in uh, both Animal Farm and, and uh, 1984. My goodness. Uh, new speak is here, so it's frightening. It is. It is. But you know, Let's it's not, end the show on a happy note, can we? I don't want to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my Unity listeners want happiness. They want positivity. <laughs> well, and We've given them a lot of positivity. Um, but we got what a couple four minutes left. So uh, give us some encouragement uh, from your wisdom of uh, of a lifetime of study and and insight. Something good that we can do well, this week. Okay, let's talk about the, the fifth chakra. We talk about the fourth and the seventh. But the fifth okay. chakra is the truth chakra. Because uh-huh. I think the fifth chakra as the throat. That um, whose purpose is to put wisdom in the world. And it's located between our heart chakra and our mind chakra. So it's a combination of both. It's wisdom. So the purpose of the fish chakra is a birth canal. It's a birth canal to put our wisdom into the world. And, and that's another name for Christ, isn't it? So to put Christ into the world. And we all have this chakra. And um, we have to clean it up, though, because the, the, the dark side to the fish chakra would be gluttony. Uh, glutus is a Latin word for throat. So, but gluttony isn't just about taking in too much food to drink. Gluttony is taking in too much of anything, including untruth <laughs> and shooting uh, bad, bad news, yeah. if you will. So we have to cleanse that throat and uh, so that we can really give our wisdom to the world. And I think it's a beautiful metaphor that we're all, uh, as Eckhart says, mothers of God and mothers of Christ. That this is what we're giving forward, and um, it's not limited to the throat. We do it in all of our work. We do it in parenting and grandparenting and, and teaching and um, in running a, a podcast like this one and in, in going to work every day. What, what joy and what beauty and wisdom are we giving to the world, you know, through our hands, through our, our work? And that's a beautiful thing. And that's, you know, that's what Christ did and Jesus did. You know, he he chose parables, he chose art and art form to give his gift to the world, his wisdom to the world. So yes. I think that's something that we're we can all appreciate and um, and be grateful for. So humans are not just grateful for nature that we've inherited over thirteen point eight billion years, but we can be grateful that we're here to accomplish something too. We are co-creators. The Holy yes. Spirit wants to work through us. Absolutely, and that's where we're at. That's good. Well, you know, in the in the unity tradition, uh, the twelve powers tradition, um, the throat chakra is uh, traditionally associated with power, right? So speaking speaking your power, and the, the disciple is is Philip, and of course Philip means the lover of horses, right? So so you're speaking and and uh, expressing with horsepower, you know, which in the old days was the the great power. So in other words, you're cooking with gas. You're really expressing yourself with. Um, with, with vigor, if you like, and, and we're all called to do that, right? To speak our truth. Um, and that doesn't mean yelling it from the rooftops, does it? It means calmly stating it, right, with, with um, a decisive way, but in a compassionate way, again, to come back to that idea, you know, because that's the best kind of truth, isn't it, when it comes forth as, as compassion and generosity of spirit. 
Yeah, and a creative artistic way, you know, so it gets yeah. one's heart, not just yeah. Yeah. And you know the word prophet means profeto, speak out. So that too is all the There we go. Similar similar we're all mystics. Like community yeah. teaches, we're lovers, but we're also called to be prophets, to speak the truth and and to say no it. Uh you know, to speak truth to power. Well that's necessary too. So yeah, all that is our noble vocation lovers in the um, i love it i love it mm-hmm. you know there's one thing in the back of the book folks that i like too and it's the 12 principles of creation spirituality so even if you can't read the rest of the book read that one page and you get a, a, a definite idea of what creation spirituality is all about and if you read it you'll find how similar it is to people and the way we approach things so uh, these are universal truths, and um, we've covered a lot of them in this hour, but of course there are many, many more, and the book is rich in, in information. So um, I want to thank Matthew for writing it, number one, and number two, for being on the show today. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure to, uh, to have you on the show and share your passion. So you may be 81 years old, but you're still youthful and vigorous and uh, able to share your ideas with 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 that buoyant enthusiasm of youth, right? <laughs> well, thank you, John Paul, for bringing it out of me. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Well, folks, um, this is the last on Unity uh, online radio, but not the last of World Spirituality. I will be back shortly. You can still listen to all my archives, 668 of them. And uh, I'll let you know wh- where we go from here. But uh, rest assured, we'll have many more interesting shows. And uh, thank you very much for listening. And once again, we we thank uh, Matthew Fox for not just being on the show today, but for his life's work and all that, uh, all the thirty-six books and the uh, endless talks and lectures and and uh, wonderful work that has really been uh, seminal in in um, changing our attitudes. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, Jim. All right. And bye-bye now. Have a good time. Be safe. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 